0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure uh, that you do, would you please take them out and go to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, as we are uh, in this series called Ecclesiastes Life Under the Sun. And so this morning, um, we are going to look at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5. And we are going to look at what Solomon brings up. We're going to br- look at the topic of worship which is what Solomon is talking about in chapter five in verses one through seven. And so we're gonna dive right into our text this morning. So um, since uh, I asked you to stand earlier then Josh came right behind me and told y'all to sit down. He just told y'all to sit down I'm gonna tell you to stand up. So let's stand up. Would you please stand as we read God's word this morning, please? You can follow along in your copy of God's word or on the words on the screen behind me. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God for God is in heaven and you are on the earth therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. You may have a seat. And as you're taking a seat, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the words that were sung this morning. And Father, I pray now as we have... As we are diving into your word, I pray, Father God, that just as the writer of Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and that it's able to, to divide and it's able to judge our thoughts and our attitudes. Oh God, we pray that you speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as a kid, growing up out in a small West Texas town, I may or may not have had an issue with playing with fire. I may or may not have started a couple of fires. And I may or may not have had the fire department called on the fire that I may or may not have started. But here's what I learned at a very early age, I guess, in West Texas is this. It doesn't pay to play with fire. Amen? It doesn't pay to play with fire. Well, in our text this morning, Solomon says this. It doesn't pay to play with God. It doesn't pay to mess around with God. And what Solomon is going to tell us in this chapter is this. He's going to tell us that worship is a serious matter. Solomon is going to tell us that that our words that we say during worship, the words that we sing during worship, the words that we speak to ourselves when the preacher or our Sunday school teacher is teaching, our words are important when it comes to worship. He's going to tell us that our attitudes when it comes to worship, that it better be on point. Because it doesn't pay to play with God. Now let me set this up for you this morning. In chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, if you've been following along in this series, Life Under the Sun, if you're just catching on at this point, you can go to our, our website, firstbrunswick.com, and there you can look on sermons and you can catch up. But uh, let me tell you how this is how this is working to where Solomon gets to talking about worship. In chapter 1, Solomon introduces the theme of Ecclesiastes. The theme is this, that everything is vanity, it's meaningless, it's, it's, it's futile, it's that's life under the sun life without god you reject god live your life without god the creator elohim yahweh jehovah you reject him solomon says everything is meaningless it is futile it is uh, it is life is like a soap bubble it just floats up and it pops and it is gone Well, in chapter 2, we see this autobiographical sketch of Solomon, and you see this pretty much through the rest of of the book, but Solomon begins this search for the meaning of life. And in chapter 2, he tells us, he tells us what he sought after. He sought after women, wine, and work. And at the end of chapter 2, he said, I still can't get any satisfaction. I can't find any meaning in those things. And so it continues on in chapter 3. In chapter 3, we read of these famous words in the book of Ecclesiastes, which says this, there is a time for everything, a time to give birth, a time to die. And so there is, a, there, is a, there is a time, a season for everything under heaven. And Solomon says this to the hearers, to you and I, he says, but know this, that God has put eternity in our hearts, meaning this, that you and I were created to ask the question, what's the point of life? What's the meaning of life? And at the end of chapter 3, he comes to one conclusion where Solomon says this. You know what? You and I, we just need to enjoy life. It's a gift from God. We need to enjoy what God has given us. Solomon is saying that you were born and raised at a certain time for a specific reason. And God's in control. Therefore, enjoy it. He says, smile more. Enjoy it. Enjoy good food. That's what he says in chapter 3. But in chapter 4, which we've looked at the past couple weeks, in chapter 4, Solomon introduces this new idea to us, and it's this idea that the world has gone mad. Would you agree with that? The world has gone mad. And in chapter 4, Solomon gives us three examples of how the world has gone mad. The first example is this, the world has gone mad because there's bad politicians in the world. Hmm. Okay. And then he says the world has gone mad because there's oppression all over the world. That people in power, whether that is political power, whether that is financial power, those who have the power have this tendency to oppress those who do not have the power. And Solomon says the world has gone mad. And he says the third reason why the world has gone mad is because of rivalry. Because of envy. If somebody has something that you don't have, you look at it and you say, What? I've got to have this. And Solomon says, The world has gone mad. And then he comes to chapter 5. And now for a brief seven verses, Solomon kind of takes a step back from all of the world going mad. He takes a step back and he gives instructions on how you and I are to worship in a world that's gone mad. And he tells the hearers, the assembly, he says, guys, I want to let you know something. You can still worship in a world that is full of envious people, You can still worship. You can still worship God in a world that is full of oppression. And you can still worship God even though there will be bad politicians that run your country. He says, You can still worship God. Now, a little note about bad politicians. Next week, the United States House. We'll vote on what is called the Equality Act. The Equality Act is set out to redefine biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. That is going before the floor next week. We have a president in office. We pray for him. We pray God's blessings on him. But he has said that he would sign this into the law that's bad politics and we need to pray that that does not happen but here's the good news we can still worship God we can still worship God even though Things may not go the way we want it to, even though we don't get the news that we want to hear, even though there may be bad politicians, even though there may be oppression. Solomon says to these men, the assembly, you can still worship God. But he gives it a warning. Solomon says, but when you worship God, you better do it the right way. So there is a heaviness to this passage. Are you with me this morning? It's going to get heavier. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's look at this. Let's, tell, let's look at what Solomon says to us on how we can worship in a world gone mad. I want you to write this down. He gives us three things that we can do. Number one, write this down. First of all, when we enter the place of worship, we need to come ready to listen. Meaning, when you come into a worship service, there needs to be some preparation <laughs> Before you meet God, before you sing the worship songs, before you hear God's word preached, you need to be ready to hear God speak. Now, let me, let me pull back one more time on this. Let's remember the context of whom Solomon is writing to. Solomon is called the Koheleth. That's the preacher, the teacher in chapter 1, verse 1. And he's called an assembly. Well, who is the assembly? The scholars agree that the, that the assembly are men Men who live near the temple, who live near the temple, but these men are young men who are trying to make a a name for themselves and their family. The economy is booming. They're trying to make all the money in the world that they can make, but also they're trying to live the Jewish lifestyle, which is this they've got to be a part of the temple, right? They've got to be a part. That's the Jewish heritage, that you come to the temple, you offer your sacrifices. So, so it, it could be this picture that these men are trying to live like the world in one way, but the second they go to the temple, they try to do something different. Does that make sense? And so the very first thing that Solomon says, look with me in verse number one, he says this, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. The very first thing that Solomon says to these hearers, To these men, he says to you and I, is this, you need to be careful when you go to the temple. You need to be careful. He's saying, you need to think about what you are about to do. And Solomon, as this wise old man speaking to these young men, it's as if he's saying, guys, you need to understand that when you go to the temple, you need to understand that you're just not dropping in for a friendly chat with your neighbors. You're just not coming here to have great conversation or in Baptist life to have a great breakfast casserole. Amen? That's not the reason. That's not there. He says, You need to guard your steps. He paints the reminder to these hearers that when you go to the temple, you're going to the house of God. He's saying to these men, Guys, remember, you're going to the place where the Almighty Creator stooped down and He wants to meet with you. You got to remember in the Old Testament, where did God meet the people? He met them in the place that's called the temple. That's where He met them, that's where God wanted to meet with all of the people. And so Solomon says, Listen, you need to know what you're going to do. You need to know who you're going to see and be a part of. Now, question for you Do you think Solomon knows something about the temple? Absolutely. Why? He built it, he built it. God gave him all the instructions. From Moses on, David, Solomon, he knows all of the instructions about the temple. And he pulls aside these young men. These men are trying to make a name for themselves, trying to make money, but but trying to live in the world, trying to do it God's way. And Solomon says, guys, I need to tell you something. You be careful. Because Solomon knows, and these young men should know as well, that in the Old Testament, there were people who were immediately killed because they did not come to God in the right fashion. Do you remember that? God's holy. God is holy. And God is serious when it comes to you coming into his presence in an unholy matter. How many of you remember the story of Moses in the burning bush? When Moses sees this bush burning and he walks over to it and says, wow, this bush isn't burning. And the next thing you know, the bush begins to talk to him. And the voice, which is God, says, don't come near. It says, take off your sandals because you are standing on what? holy ground god is holy god is holy he is righteous he is just and solomon says this you need to be careful you need to guard your steps i don't know about you guys but again when i was growing up either my parents or or teachers whenever if there was ever a moment where I was getting out of my lane or I was doing something I should not do, my parents or teachers would say something like this, boy, you better watch your step. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What does that mean? You be careful because if you cross that line, your behind is going to feel it. (laughs) Well, Solomon says, guard your steps. Now, I believe this. I've been in the ministry for 20-plus years. I've served at churches that have contemporary music. I've served at churches that have traditional music. I've served everything that you can think of. But here's what I know, and it's the same no matter what the music is. And I've seen this. I have seen that one of the church's biggest problem today is this. We don't take worship serious enough. We do not take the holiness of this almighty God who sent his son to die for us. The holiness of God. We do not take it serious enough. I remember several years ago, um, I had a rare Sunday off. And uh, my wife and I we went to a different church in the town where we were living at that time, and we went to a it was a very modern, contemporary church because it's a little bit different than where we were serving. So we kind we wanted something just a little bit different that Sunday morning. And I'll never forget when the worship leaders came out onto the stage. I'll never forget this moment. And I've wrestled with this, I really have. The worship leader came out, and the worship leader was wearing a shirt that had the words in big, bold letters, King of Pop. Do you know who the name, of, who is, who's the King of Pop? Michael Jackson. And the shirt had his hat kind of hanging off one of the letters and had the word King of Pop. And then there, she's up there, the worshipers are singing, trying to sing worship and praise to the Heavenly Father. Can, can I be honest with you? And students and young people, I want you to hear me out. That shirt was offensive. That was offensive. That was offensive to come into a place of worship where you're worshiping the king of kings, not the king of pop. And you dare To wear a shirt that calls somebody else king, that's offensive. And you may say, well, pastor, you're just an old fuddy-duddy. Well, so what? (laughs) If you call me an old fuddy-duddy, I don't know what you'll call Solomon. Because Solomon says, you watch your step. I believe as a church, as a whole, American Western culture, I've worshiped in other regions of the world, and it's different. We take this way too lightly. Well, if Solomon says we're to guard our steps, then then how do we do? What do we do? How are we to come into the place of worship? Well, what do we do? Well, he actually gives us, in, in verse 1, he actually gives us um, some, some, uh, some imperatives, some instructions on how to worship. He's going to tell us two things. He's going to tell us that when we come into the house of worship, you do two things. You listen more and you speak less. Listen more and speak less. Look at the next line in verse number one. After he says, guard your steps, he then says, draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Now, for us to understand this in the New Testament, we need to understand a little bit about Old Testament sacrifices and what really takes place. Scholars say that in the temple, while sacrifices were offered to God, if you brought your sacrifice to God and you would bring it to the priest, here's what would happen. Silence reigned. You would bring your sacrifice to the priest and you wouldn't say anything. You let the offering do the talking. And so so silence reigned. And you knew that as you offered this sacrifice, you knew that the divine presence was, was being engaged and so you didn't say anything. You would offer the sacrifice and then the priest would speak. The priest would speak. He would read God's law. He would explain what was read. And then he would offer the prayers and then the people would respond with songs. And then the, then the priest would then offer his blessings upon the people, But when you brought your offering in the Old Testament, it was done with silence because you understood that this was a holy God, that you don't mess around when you get in the presence of God. You do not mess around with him. I've seen other t-shirts that says, As Jesus is my homeboy. I think it's funny, but it's very, very scary. Are you with me? And then Solomon says this, that you you listen more. You listen more. And, and And he says that the fools, there's a sacrifice of fools in context. If you were to bring your sacrifice to the priest and you began to speak and you began to talk more and you began to say a lot of things, the Bible called you a fool and the priest would call you a fool. And he would consider your sacrifice unacceptable. So when Solomon says, draw near to draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, what he's saying is this: You listen more and you speak less. One of the very first instructions that God gave to Israel was this: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Jesus tells the church over and over and over again, he who has ears, let him hear. Paul would write in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. James would say, let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. And Solomon said, when you come into worship, when you come into the church, when you come into the temple, you come to listen and you listen to his word. Now look at verse number two. Now he's going to tell you, don't speak. Look at verse number two. He says, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now here's a question for you. Why is Solomon instructing us to be cautious in our speaking before God? Why is he doing that? He says, well, God's in heaven and you're on the earth. And you think about that and go, well, duh, yeah. Yeah. Of course, God is up there, and we're here, but, but what Solomon's saying is it's about perspective. When he's saying that God is in heaven, what that means is, this, is that God is the infinite. He is able to hear the inaudible. That'll make you quiver in your chair, won't it? God's able to hear the inaudible. He is able to see the invisible. Therefore, since God is is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he is everywhere, he knows all things, Solomon says, then you need to be careful what you're going to say because you know why? God hears. God hears. He hears your very thoughts right now. He hears my very thoughts right now. Like, I wish that person on the third row would wake up. You know, there's one of those thoughts. I'm joking. I don't know who you are on the third row. Let me see. One, two, three. One, two, three. I'm just teasing. But he hears these things. And Solomon wants us to understand that when it comes to worship, a proper attitude of worship is this. Is that God, I want you to hear me when I say this. God is not our buddy next door. Does that make sense? He's not our buddy next door. He's not the big man upstairs. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. He's full of wisdom. He's full of power. He's full of holiness. He's full of justice. He's full of goodness. He's full of truth. Now, pastor, are you saying that he's not our friend? No, I'm not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, God called Moses his friend. And Jesus actually said, you're you're my friend. So yes, there is a friend aspect of it. And yes, he is our caring father, but he's just not a lovey-dovey father who says, go and do whatever you want to do just because I love you. Are you with me? Yes, he loves you. Yes, he's your father. Yes, he's your friend. But he is holy, and he cannot be in the presence of sin. And he asks you as his son and his daughter to be separated from the sin of this world. And here's what Solomon says, men, you be careful. You don't play with God. When you come to worship, you come because it's serious. Here's number two, write this down. When we come to worship, we must keep the promises that we make to God. When we come to worship, we must keep the, prom- the promises or the commandments we make to God. Look at verse number four. Look at verse number four. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. That Hebrew word for vow is nader, and it literally means a promise. If you make a promise, what do you need to do? You need to keep it. You need to keep it. Verse 5, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Verse 6, don't let your speech cause you to sin. And don't say in the presence of the of God that it was a mistake. What he's saying is this, when you make a promise, you keep it. And don't come back later and go to the priest and say, oh, I was just joking. I really didn't mean that. He says, no, 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 no. You make a promise, you keep it. Because God hears you and he holds you to that promise. How many of you remember the saying, cross my heart, very good. One of the things we learn as children, right? Cross my heart, hope to die. And a child knows, a student knows when you say that, that's a big deal, right? Cross my heart, hope to die, or stick a needle in my eye. It's a big deal, right? It means I'm going to keep the promise. I, I heard this one, prepared for this message. I hadn't heard this before, but it's really good. It said, cross, cross, my heart, cross your heart, hope to die, hope the cat will spit in your eye. <laughs> Tell you what, if my cat ever spits in my eye, he going to die. <laughs> he going to die. Cross my heart, hope to die. How about this one as a child? Maybe you do it as an adult as well. How about, how about this one? Do you remember this one? Remember, what's it called? Pinky swear. Pinky swear. In West Texas, if you really meant it, you would do this. Is that a West Texas thing? Yes, all right, that's good. A pinky swear. What did that mean? And I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to keep my promise. Solomon says, if you make a promise to God, you keep it. You keep it. Because you can't come back later and say, well, no, I really didn't mean that. I, I, I really didn't. No, I was just, no, 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 no. God heard you. And God says, keep it. Several years ago, there was a nine-year-old boy by the name of Mitch Chipakis. I believe is how you pronounce his name. Um, It was about 2001, 2002. Um, He was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of bone cancer. And the story goes that Mitch and his family, his dad's name was Steve. They were in the hospital around December time of 2002. And, and Mitch, the boy, overheard the family next to them in the room next door talking about how it was going to be difficult to pay for Christmas that year. Understand, they're in a oncology, pediatric oncology. That makes sense, right? Mitch, this nine-year-old boy, heard that and looked over at his dad and said, Dad, that's, that, dad, that's not fair. How can we help them have a Christmas? And his dad, Steve, is like, well, son, I, 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 I don't know. We can we can we can pray for them. And Mitch was like, "No no 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 no, Dad. We we've got to do something." And he said this. He said, "Dad, how much is in my how much money do I have in my account?" His dad, well, I, I don't know, son, but we can go find out. And so Steve got permission to take his son to get out of the hospital. Got him in a wheelchair and took him to the bank. And this is back before mobile banking. <laughs> Some of you have no idea <laughs> the trouble to go to a bank. Can I get an amen on that one? Stand in line. Do You remember those lines? <laughs> and you're the only one, right? <laughs> Gosh, can we just talk? They go to the bank. They take out all of his money, all of his son's money from his savings account. And when they get home, they divvy up all of the money to equal amounts and put them in envelopes according to how many children were on the pediatric oncology floor. And Mitch and his dad they went to each room and just slid an envelope underneath the door. And he said, love Mitch. They come back. Uh, Mitch is just glowing. He's like, Dad, this is, this is the greatest day of my life. Greatest day of my life. And he says, Dad, can, can we do this again next Christmas? And that's when the conversation got really serious. When, when his dad said, well, son, you... You you know the prognosis. I mean, this it's not good, son. It's not good. And his son said, "Dad, I, I get that, Dad, but can we can we can we do that? Can can we do this every Christmas?" Well, son, I, I I I don't know. And finally, his little boy Mitch said, "Dad, can we can we do this every Christmas?" And then he said, "This will you." his dad went, okay. About May of that next year, Mitch died. But out of that, out of that and his death and that moment and that pinky swear, Steve, the dad, kept the promise and created the pinky swear foundation. To help families in the pediatric oncology area to make sure that they have the financial resources to have great Christmases. Listen, I know many of you in this room. You've made promises to God before. Pastor, what promises are you talking about? The promises, how about this? How about marriage? Male, female, stand face to face and you say the words, Till death do us part. That's a vow that you make before the preacher, the pastor, that you make between your spouse husband to the wife, wife to the husband. It's a vow you make to the congregation that's out there, and it's a vow to God. Keep it. For those of you who have gone through parent-child dedications, when you come before the congregation, you make a vow, a promise to raise your son or your daughter in the ways of the Lord, and to to use the resources of this church to help you do that. It's a it's a vow. Some of you in this congregation <clears throat> or in other churches, men, you've been called out from the church to be deacons. The church has recognized this, and you stand before the church, you stand before the body, and you stand before God, and you say, I will faithfully do my duty. Keep it. For those of you who've been baptized, When you stand in the baptism waters and you stand up there and you say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that's a vow. That's a vow that you make. When you told Jesus, I bow my knee to you and I will do it your way, I surrender the rights to myself, that's a vow. That's a promise. Keep it. So when you come to church, when you come to church, and you come to worship, and you come to listen to God's word, and you come to hear what he has to say, and you make a promise, you keep the promise. And you know one of the great things about the local church? That's why I'm a big believer in the local church. You know why God has this body It's because we're to hold each other accountable to those promises that we have made. We need each other. That's why we need community. That's why we need small groups to say, you know what, hey, my marriage is struggling. We're struggling here. That's why you have other men, other women around you say, you know what, you can do it. You made a promise. Keep it. We're going to walk with you. Or if you may be struggling with Christ. Man, I don't understand everything that Jesus said. I don't, I don't get it. This world's going crazy. I'm going mad. I'm losing it. That's why you have body of believers around say you, know, you made a promise. Hold on. He's faithful. He will see you through. So when we come to church, Solomon says, if you make vows and you don't keep them, you are like a fool. Well, that ought to make you feel good. So when we come to worship, we come ready to listen. We come to keep the promises. And third, here's what we do. We come because we want to come and worship in awe of who God is. Meaning this, it ain't about you. Look at your neighbor and say, it ain't about you either. Look at your other neighbor and say, you too. It ain't about you. Perfect English. When you come to church, Solomon says in verse number 7, Solomon says, when you come, when you come to the temple, in the context of Ecclesiastes 5, now by the way, we know, let me just step back here, we know that the temple in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament, it's not the same. We understand that, correctly? Correct? We understand that. But when we come together as worship, we're coming together as a body of believers, we come here for one reason, one reason only, that's to worship the Almighty God that's our focus. Warren Wearsby said this, that the number one priority of the church is worship. That's the number one priority, is that we come to worship. When we walk up the steps, we lay things aside, and we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Look at verse 7, for in many dreams and in many words, there is, what's that word? Emptiness. We can talk a big game, But it's emptiness. Rather, Solomon says, rather fear God. Fear God. This is the reason why we come to church. We come to church because we want to gather together with other believers who have made the same commitment that we have to follow Jesus with all of our heart because he's delivered us from our sins. He has set us on the path to become more and more like him. We know we're going to see him when he returns. We know we're going to go to heaven and eternity. But in the here and now, he's called us together to worship him with every single ounce of our body because that's our priority. We were created to worship him. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that really as humans, you don't have to be taught how to worship. You ever been to a college football game? They're lots of fun, right? That's a form of worship. We don't have to be taught how to worship. We have to be taught on who to worship. And that worship belongs to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So when we come here, it's all about worship. Jesus it's all about him it's not about how comfortable these chairs are or I wish we had the pews it's not about that those are preferences and I get that I totally understand that I get preferences but it's not about our preferences it's it's not about styles it's it's not about it's not about whose idea is better it's not about this is just not about you See, when you follow Christ, it's a call to surrender and it's a call to denying of yourself. It's picking up the cross and following him daily. How many of y'all remember the name Joni Erickson Tada? How many of y'all know that name? Two of you will get this illustration. Great speaker, great author, uh, but it all comes out of a tragedy. When she was very young, she had a tragedy, had an accident that left her a quadriplegic. But in spite of all of those limitations, God has used her in a mighty, mighty way. About 40 years ago, when she married her husband, Ken, she tells this story, and I think it's great, and we're going to close with this. For her wedding, she had planned to ride down the center aisle in her motorized wheelchair. She was going to have her white dress on, have the flowers, and it was going to be great. Well, just about before the doors open she realizes that she has run over her white dress with her motorized wheelchair and has left a huge grease spot on her wheelchair. Um, excuse me, on her, on her dress. That was weird. <laughs> and as she looks down at the spot on her dress, she drops her flowers in between her leg and the wheelchair, and she can't get them. Then all of a sudden, the door's... The doors open. And she's, you know, right, like, ah, this isn't perfect. This isn't work. This isn't, uh, all this stuff is going on. I can't, I can't get it. I don't understand it. And she was filled, uh, obviously, with disappointment. But then the doors opened, and then she said this. And then I looked down the aisle. And I saw my husband to be. I didn't care about the grease spot anymore. I didn't care about the rip in my dress. I didn't care about the flowers that I could not hold. All I know is I saw my man, and he made it right. That's a great picture of worship. You keep your eyes on Jesus. The world can go mad, and the world can go bad. All things can go ways that you don't want it to go, but you keep your eyes on Jesus because he is all that matters. And Solomon says, in a world gone mad, you worship. You worship. You give your all to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords. I ask you this morning, do you trust God with your life? Do you trust him? Do you trust him even in the midst of this world gone mad? If the answer is yes, you're free to worship. If you don't trust him this morning, I simply ask you this, that you bow your knee to the King of Kings, to end the Lord of Lords. You surrender the rights to your life, and you beg him to come and save you From your sins. You do that, and he promises to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can worship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you at this time. I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Almighty God, that you want our worship, that you desire our worship. And Father, I pray right now in this room that you would be the only thing that we focus on What you have done for us by dying on the cross for our sins, by shedding your blood for us so that we can be freed from slavery, free from the chains. Thank you for delivering us. If you're here this morning and you have never made that commitment to Christ Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning, It's very simple. One, you turn from your wicked ways, and two, you turn to Jesus and say, God, I'm sorry. And if that's you, would you say that right now? Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me my sins? Would you come into my life and be Lord and Savior? I give you my all. The Bible says if you did that prayer, said that prayer, that the Holy Spirit has immediately filled you and the angels in heaven rejoice. And then now God says, worship. Father, I pray this morning that you would be pleased with our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.